And as you're turning to 2 Timothy, I'm used to telling you what page number to turn to, but uh, Lord willing, one of these days we'll be able to do that again. The 2 Timothy will pick up in verse 8 today, but as you're turning there, let me remind you of where we have been. Paul is in prison in Rome. He's in chains to a guard. I was thinking last week, I wonder how much the guard enjoys being chained to Paul too, all right? What a job. But Paul is facing certain execution. Doesn't know when it'll be. He's been abandoned by several of those in the church who have, at least they've professed to be in the church, been ashamed of the gospel. He has Luke with him, third, the writer of the third gospel, a doctor, is there with, Tim, Tim, or with Paul encouraging him. But Paul writes to Timothy, and not only to encourage Timothy, not only encourage him as he seeks to set up elders in the church in Ephesus, but he says, Timothy, when you come from Ephesus, come, come visit. Bring Mark with you. Bring my favorite hoodie, uh, cloak, cloak. Bring my favorite cloak and the manuscripts. And then Paul says, Timothy, fan into flame the gift that God has given to you. Be willing to, sh- to suffer shame. Don't be ashamed and proclaim the gospel faithfully. But last week, Pastor Toby, we looked at the first part of chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We, were, we saw that Timothy was encouraged to keep on being strengthened. And he said, but you don't have the strength in your own, Timothy. It's by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you need to be a focused soldier, a disciplined athlete, and a hardworking farmer. But you can't do it on your own. And so that brings us to our text today, verses 8 through 13. And Paul talks more about how he has the strength in Christ Jesus to do that which he is called to do. So join with me as we begin reading verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that is unbound. You have said that your word is alive and able to discern the thoughts and intents of our heart. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come to your word to study it, that you would do that very thing. That you would show us where we need to be changed. That you will humble us, that we might bow a knee to you in confession and repentance. And that we would be strengthened and encouraged to be faithful, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ unashamedly, that you might complete your church, that you might work in and through us and complete the work that you've begun. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Timothy, 
be the focused soldier, be the disciplined athlete, be the hardworking farmer, but you can't. But he did, and therefore you will. Remember the faithful Jesus so you will promote the gospel faithfully, Timothy. That's our big idea for today. Remember the faithful Jesus so that you will promote the gospel faithfully. Remember this about Jesus. Be, keep on remembering. Lead before your mind not just the doctrinal truths about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but put it at the forefront of your thoughts. That as you interact with those around you, as you are confronted by persecution, as you are challenged by those in the church who are causing problems, remember Jesus. Remember that He came as, a, as God in the flesh, suffered, He died, He rose again. Timothy, let that inform you as you make decisions and as you lead and as you set up men to lead the church. Now, as we come to this challenge of Timothy, I, I don't think we really grasp the gravity of the situation that Paul and Timothy in the early church was experiencing at this time, at least not for those of us here in Midwest America. Now, maybe the S family has a little bit more of a grasp of what this looks like, having lived in North Africa for a while, after having been detained by the police and being questioned as to why they're there. But consider what Paul and Timothy are facing. In fact, I've brought some things up here today to kind of help us get in this mindset for you as we live here in America. Have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? We just got a new uh, updated series uh, or an updated book of Fox's book from Voice of the Martyrs this week that takes us up to 2018. Whether or not we are facing persecution here in Midwest America, like what Paul was experiencing, there are other things that we can remind ourselves that there are other people around the world that are facing this. Voice of the Martyrs, this is a publication that I try to put out in the foyer. You can get it at home. We, uh, a few, well, a few, several months, maybe years ago now, we went through a series called Dispatches from the Front. And a new uh, series uh, Tim Kazee put out on the Middle East. The Middle East is a hotbed right now of persecution in the church. Paul uh, the, the Jewish historian Eusebius puts Paul's persecution and his execution about the time of Nero was emperor in Rome, around 64 to 68 AD. Remember what Nero was like? Set Rome on fire and accused it of the Christians, means to justify the killing and torture of Christians, would burn the bodies of Christians as torches in his garden parties. This is the persecution that the church was facing in those days. This is why Paul had been abandoned by those who had made professions of faith. I didn't sign up for that. I don't know about this. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy and encourages Timothy, the only way you will remain faithful is because Jesus is faithful. Jesus suffered unjustly, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and he has called his disciples to die to themselves daily, take up his cross, and follow him. Timothy, remember, Jesus is faithful, so you will promote the gospel faithfully. 
So as we come to the text, verse 8 here, what was he to remember about Jesus Christ? First of all, consider for a moment, do you remember what the angel told Joseph when he told him to, Mary, uh, to name Mary's baby Jesus? Do you remember the reason why? You shall name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. Yahweh, the proper name of God. This is the creator of the universe, the sovereign ruler of this world, the sustainer of life. Yahweh has come in flesh as a helpless babe, like we just sang, so that he could save his enemies and make them his people. This is Jesus, Timothy. Remember Jesus, Yahweh saves. He is the Christ. God promised to Adam and Eve, clear back in Genesis 3, when he pronounced the curse on them that, yes, you have forfeited life because you rebelled, you wanted to live life independently of me, but he made a promise to them. He said, one day a seed of the woman is going to come and he will crush Satan's head. He came to Abraham and he said, Abraham... You will have a seed that is going to come. And through this seed, every nation in the world will be blessed. And Paul says, Timothy, that's Jesus. Yahweh saves your Messiah. He is the focused soldier who has come to crush Satan's head. But Timothy... Jesus didn't just die. He is the risen Messiah. Remember, Timothy, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Now, it's interesting. A lot of times when, when Paul talks about Jesus' resurrection, he also tags in Jesus' death and resurrection, right? And I began to ask, why, why just the resurrection? I think there's several reasons, but one particularly, what's, what's Paul facing right now? He's facing, facing certain death. And I don't know about you, but whenever I come to a funeral or a memorial service of a loved one in Christ, what is the last thing we remind everybody of? The resurrection, right? I can face tomorrow because I know I am going to live. Why? Because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow the uncertainty of today does not matter because I know that the worst thing that can happen to me in this life is my physical death. But Jesus is risen from the dead. Present tense, Timothy. How did this impact Paul's life? Well, a passage that is often quoted by suffering Christians is Romans chapter 8, isn't it? Where Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not, not worth comparing to what? The glory that is to be revealed to us. What's he hoping in? The resurrection. Jesus is alive. Therefore, the sufferings of this present life are, are nothing compared to the glory that is to come. For I know that those who love God, all things work together for good. To those who are called according to his purpose. What then shall I say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In fact, Paul devotes a whole chapter on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. All right? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. 
and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ is not risen from the dead, this life is not worth living. We are hopelessly lost. But that is not the case. Christ is risen from the dead, and because of that, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Remember, Timothy, Jesus is the Christ, the focused soldier who came and is going to crush Satan's head. Jesus is the disciplined athlete who died for your sins, who rose again, and he completed his work on the cross and saying, it is finished, and he has promised to you, Timothy, to complete the work that he has started in you. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is the focus soldier. Jesus is the disciplined athlete. But he mentions a third thing that Timothy was to have at the forefront of his mind about Jesus. Timothy, remember that Jesus is the offspring of David. Now, if you flip over to Romans chapter 1, verse 3, you see that Paul uses the same phrase and attaches another phrase to it that gives us a clue as to what Paul is referring to here. He says, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Now, if you recall, in two of the Gospels, we have a genealogy of Jesus. What is the purpose of those genealogies? Jesus is not only Yahweh God, He is fully man. Consider, Timothy, what Jesus has asked you to do in sharing in His sufferings. He, as a man, shared in these sufferings. Hebrews 2, Therefore He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be man. He had to satisfy the wrath of God. He had to be forsaken by God as a man. Hebrews goes on, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, what is he able to do, Timothy? He is able to help those who are being tempted. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Timothy, remember, Yahweh saves. He is the promised Messiah. He is the risen. He is the offspring of David. But I ask myself, is this the only thing that Paul is referring to here with the offspring of David? You know, other times in the book of Romans, for instance, he refers to Jesus as being the seed of Abraham. So why the offspring of David to talk about his humanity? Well, let's think about what else is attached to David, right? If we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, there is a promise that is attached to the offspring of David. And what is that promise? David... Your house, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Timothy, Nero is going to be dethroned someday. The Roman Empire will be dissolved. All of the wicked rulers and tyrants of the world that history has seen, they have all died. And even now, 
the riots, the mobs, the anarchists will be brought to justice because Jesus Christ is the offspring of David. He is the King of kings. And because of this, we do not need to fear those who can kill the body or place restrictions on the how and when and where we gather, or in Timothy's case, the ones who can put you to death. Why? Timothy, remember, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is the offspring of David. And he says in verse 9, So I will preach the gospel for which I am suffering. I'm bound with chains as a criminal. But, he says, promote the gospel while you suffer, even unjustly. I'm going to skip past the little phrase there at the tail end of verse 9 and go on down to verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Remember Jesus Christ. He suffered unjustly. He's called us to walk in His shoes, and He did so that we might be saved. Therefore, I will endure some things. (laughs) Everything. What does everything mean? I looked up the Greek. You know what it means? Everything. All means all, and that's all all means, right? Why? Because Jesus did. He also gives us another reason, too. Therefore, verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. How is it that that Paul's suffering, his enduring all things... And by the way, if you want a list of some of the things he, he, he went through, you can write this passage down, 2 Corinthians 11. Just one I'll mention. Five times he received the 39 lashes. But he was willing to endure all those things to suffer unjustly. Why? Because Jesus willingly took on flesh, suffered and died unjustly, because Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God But also, it was for the sake of the elect. For the sake of the elect? Just the the term elect itself means the ones that are chosen by God. How can my suffering benefit the ones who have been chosen by God? Well, consider for a moment how Paul's sufferings cause sanctification in the church. As a result of Paul suffering unjustly, The Philippian jailer in his household heard the gospel and were saved. Because Paul was willing to endure all things, he ended up in Caesar's household, proclaimed the gospel faithfully in the midst of suffering unjustly, and some in Caesar's household were saved. And some of Caesar's imperial guard were saved. You know, in many times and in many places around the world, the church has been built in the most unlikely places. I don't know how many of you have read the book, Tortured for Christ, or seen the movie by the same title that came out this last year. This is something I've actually, uh, I watched with my older kids to help them consider what it means to, to follow the call of dying to self daily. Richard Wormbrand, in his story, as he's suffering unjustly, he was actually excited about the enemy army taking possession of his homeland because he wanted the gospel to go back to their land. 
And when he was in prison, suffering unjustly, he had a regular time of prayer in his jail cell, which was not allowed. And so the guard would come in, would catch him praying, he would take him out of the cell, he would hang him upside down and beat him, drag him back to the cell. Eventually, he says, why do you keep doing this? Who are you praying for? You know what he said? You. Richard Wormbrand is the one who started Voice of the Martyrs. And so today, because of his suffering unjustly, we can know what's going on in other parts of the world. We can send Bibles where it's illegal to have Bibles. We can pray for our brothers. We can write letters to our brothers and sisters around the world to encourage them. And we can watch as they suffer and be called to a commitment to be willing to share in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ along with them. When I was in high school, I began corresponding with a man who lived in, in Elkhart, Indiana. His name was Georgie Vins, or Georgi. Uh, Georgie was from the Soviet Union. He had been exiled to America because they couldn't shut him up. He got to America, he started a publication called the Prisoner Bulletin where he wrote about his colleagues and co-laborers in the faith back in the Soviet Union. And he, he kept us up to date so we could pray for them. And he would talk about how these pastors in prison promoted the gospel while they were in prison. The proclamation of the gospel couldn't be stopped. Paul also writes in Colossians 1.24 that the suffering of God's children fills up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Paul is not saying by that that somehow Christ's sufferings are insufficient for salvation. Rather, he's saying our sufferings unjustly are a picture, a, a, a real-life picture of the gospel, are they not? What did Christ call his disciples to do? To pray for those who would harm you. To seek to serve those who would seek to hurt you. In so doing, you show the love of the gospel and so Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I am willing to endure everything because he did for me. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, the risen from the dead, the offspring of David. So you will promote the gospel faithfully. Even though you suffer unjustly, you can endure everything while you do what? Go back to the phrase I left out in verse 9. Timothy, I'm in bounds and chains as a criminal, but what isn't? The Word of God. Timothy, we have been given the Word of God. It is alive, it is active, it is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Timothy, this is God's voice. It's breathed out by God. It cannot be put in chains. Now, very literally, the Roman Catholic Church tried two years ago, right? And the Lord stirred in the hearts of the Reformation leaders to translate God's Word into the common language of the people to at the threat of death and being uh, put out in shame from the church. They circulated it. They wrote letters about it. They proclaimed it. And William Tyndale said to a fellow priest, he said, I would that a boy who drives a plow to know more about Scripture than you do as a priest. It wasn't a popular thing. 
but the word of God cannot be stopped. It couldn't stop John the Baptist, Peter, Paul, and it must not stop us today. But why is it unbound? What does the breath of God do? The breath of God takes a lump of clay and turns it into a living being. The breath of God takes a valley of dry bones and erects a mighty army. And the breath of God enters into the lives of our hearts and changes us. You know, I can't change my heart. You can't change yours. We can't change one another's hearts. But God has given us His Word, and through the teaching and preaching of God's Word, the Holy Spirit takes His breath of His Word and changes us. Enables us to endure all things. Calls to our remembrance that Jesus is the Christ, the risen from the dead, the offspring of David, so that we can promote the gospel faithfully even while enduring suffering unjustly. Timothy, you must be faithful. In verses 11 through 13, Paul includes a little, what appears to be a poem, it's actually a, a hymn of the early church. Throughout all of, of the history of God working with His people, music played an important part in the church. And I would say, as a side note, youth, this is why it's so important in adults, the music you listen to. It drives the truth home. It reminds you songs start circulating in your head. Better make sure the songs that are circulating in your head are things that are promoting the truth of God's Word. And so what did, what did God instruct Moses to do? Moses, write a song that will teach the generations to come. David, write these words down. And so here we have a hymn of the early church that encapsulates these truths about Jesus. If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Timothy, I want this song going around in your head when you're facing temptations to get entangled with the civilian affairs, when you're getting worried, when you feel like throwing in the towel. Timothy, remember, if we have died with Him. That's past tense, by the way. This isn't about martyrdom here. This is about dying with Him in the cross. Timothy, if you have truly died with Him, Romans 6 says that you will then live and walk in newness of life. This is what Luke wrote in his gospel, Luke 9. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Once you say a prayer and it's done, no, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Timothy, if we died with him, we will presently, ongoing, also live with him. And in so doing, we will endure, we will reign. We will be faithful because he is faithful. Because Jesus suffered and died. Because Jesus lives and reigned. Because Jesus endured all things. And so, therefore, we will grow in godliness. We will live. We won't be ruled by sin in our life. We won't be caught up in anxiety. We won't be caught up in worry and gossip and slander. But when we recognize those things in us, God's Word speaks truth in it changes us. Or, if that doesn't happen... Then we read the rest of the song. If we deny him, 
he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I can only imagine that that Paul is thinking about those who have already been mentioned in chapter 1 and will be mentioned, some others in chapter 4, of those who have walked away and abandoned Timothy. They've been ashamed of the gospel. The question remains, have they, tr- have they denied? Have they made the final denial of Christ? Are they faithless? But there's still hope. Hebrews gives us a, a similar warning. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing the wilderness. There he's speaking to the faithless. If you hear his voice, turn. And then he says to the church, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Look back at chapter one, right? There's these names here. What did Paul say about them? They've abandoned me. They've abandoned the cause of Christ. So what does Paul encourage him to do? Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What did Jesus say about those who were ashamed of him? Matthew 10 Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus also said, there are many on that day that will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not serve in your name, cast out demons, teach in your name? And Jesus looks at them and says, depart from me for I never knew you. Church, I have been praying for years that this wouldn't just be true around the world, that that would be true here in America. You know why? Where's the fastest growing church in the world right now? Iran, China. Why? It sorts out the wheat from the, from the tares. It shows who are really dying to self daily and seeking to follow the Lord. I wonder if that were to come here today, what would our church look like? Jesus warned many on that day. People will say, didn't I? And he says, depart from me for I never knew you. Paul tells Timothy, if we have died with him, we will live. We will endure. We will proclaim the gospel faithfully. But if we deny him, he also will deny us. And so there is a stern warning to those who have abandoned the faith here and a call for Timothy to call them to repentance, to speak the word of God that has the ability to raise the dead into their lives, that they would not be faithless, that they would not deny, but that they would become faithful. You know, I find it interesting, as you look at Jesus' resurrection, he comes into the upper room where the disciples are sitting. 
Judas has already committed suicide. He's off the scene. You have 11 disciples left. By the way, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, tradition has it every last one of them except John was martyred. But John was tortured. But in that upper room, Jesus looks at him and says, Are you still without faith? They were faithless. Romans eleven twenty three. Paul talks about those who have moved from faithlessness to being a part of the body of Christ. They went from their unbelief to being grafted into the vine of Christ. Timothy, those who have been in the faith, maybe they've denied and made their faithless, but here's the thing, speak truth into them. If they are truly God's elect, what's going to happen? The Word of God is going to quicken them and move them from faithlessness to being faithful. Because those who have died in Christ will live. Those who are in Christ will endure. Those who are in Christ will also reign in Him because He is faithful. And He says, but if you hear His voice today, turn and repent. So what impact does this have on Timothy's life? As an elder, as he sets up and entrusts the Word of God to faithful men who will be elders in the church, how does it impact the elders in this church and the elders that we set up from this church? Well, consider, how is it that Peter went from faithless, the follower, to being crucified upside down at the end of his life? Because Jesus changed him. He reflected on the faithful Jesus, the works of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And even to the point where he's at the lake and Jesus is saying, Peter, do you agape love me? Do you sacrificially love me? He's getting the idea. No, I love you as a brother. Do you agape love me, Peter? I love you as a brother. Peter, do you love me as a brother? That's all I can do. I failed you. I was faithless. And do you remember what Jesus then tells Peter? You will. You will. You will be martyred. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came and indwelt Peter, everything changed. The very crowd that he was afraid of just a few days, weeks earlier, he stood up before them and he said, Jesus Christ, the risen one, the offspring of David, the promised Messiah, you guys killed. Turn. And he was a changed man, full of faith. How was it that Paul went from a faithless persecutor to a faithful martyr? He was confronted with a faithful Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, and he was changed. What kind of men do we as elders need to be? What kind of men, young men in the church here, if God were to set you apart to be an elder someday, men as heads of your homes, what kind of men do we need to be? Men who have a Christ-like mindset, willing to suffer unjustly, willing to endure all things for the sake of the gospel, and committed unashamedly to the proclamation of God's word that has the power to change lives. But how will we do this? We struggle with sin, don't we? We struggle with being weary, tired. We get caught up in the affairs of this life and we complain with everybody else about what's taking place. 
We get anxious about what the economy is going to do. We get anxious about the elections. We get anxious about our rights being taken away from us as Americans. How do we remain faithful? We must remember Jesus Christ is faithful. He's risen from the dead. He is the offspring of David. And he has called us to walk in his steps. And we must warn the faithless. Maybe you find yourself here today and you think, boy, man, I feel like I'm stuck in sin. Man, I feel like I'm just so, I'm, I'm eaten up alive by the, the uncertainty of the day. I'm concerned I'm going to lose my job. I'm concerned that the economy is going to fail. I'm concerned about who's going to be elected. Such a mindset does not reflect the life lived in Jesus Christ. And so be warned, but also be encouraged. None of us were living with a Christ-like mindset when he called us. None of us can change our hearts, but Jesus is faithful. And he says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. I have suffered, I died, I rose again so that you could be set free. And so today, if you hear his voice calling you, turn. Youth, I want to take a moment to talk to some of you. I know many of you at camp a few couple weeks ago made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to that I say, praise the Lord! But it's not about a prayer. It's not about a religious experience. It's about a daily walk of dying to yourself and letting God be king of your life. And Christ has said, if that's your heart, I will make you faithful. I will help you crucify sin in your life. May the word of God work its effect in you. And he also says to encourage the faithful. He says, here's Paul, he's in prison. Look at everything he's done. Look at everything he's suffered. And he says, Timothy, come, bring Mark. He's an encouragement to me. Bring my manuscripts. Why does Paul need that? He's a man. He needs to remember that Jesus Christ is faithful, and so he instructs Timothy to come and be an encouragement to him, just as Luke was doing at the time. Church, we live in uncertain times. In the midst of political upheaval, cultural shifting, the writings on the wall, read some biographies, read the history of the church. We're not experiencing what other parts of the world are experiencing right now, but I'm not sure how far away it is. I don't want to minimize the, the, the circumstances in which we find ourselves or make light of the pain or suffering and injustices that some of you are experiencing even now. But in times like these, it's so easy for us to slip into a mindset of weariness, but God has called us to be a focused soldier. There's a temptation to throw in the towel and say, I, man, I'm, I'm eating up. He says, no, you need to be the disciplined athlete. The goal's out there. We need to keep working the field. We keep sowing the seed. We've lived in comfortable homes without the threat of harm or rest, and we are quick to get entangled, quick to be lazy in our mindset. Sometimes even saying, why bother speaking the truth into someone's life? Why do I share the gospel with someone? I can't change someone's life. No, you can't. But this is the unbound word of God in the hands of God. And, and if you're a truly child of God, you have the power of the Spirit in you. And God can affect change. 
through your sharing of His Word, because He is faithful. It is neither I can nor I can't, but rather I will because He did and He will. No matter what tomorrow, next month, next year may come and what happens, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is risen from the dead, the offspring of David, and He is faithful. You will endure. You will live. You will reign. You will be the focused soldier who wins battle over sin. You will be the disciplined athlete who works out your salvation with fear and trembling. You will be the hardworking farmer who will bear fruit in season and you will not faint. Why? Because He is faithful. Amen? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. His word is true and unbound for He is the living word and He is faithful. He is the focused soldier who crushes Satan's head. He is the disciplined athlete who said upon the cross, it is finished, and He has promised to finish your salvation. Jesus is the hardworking farmer who will one day separate the wheat from the tares. And so together, what I want us to do in closing, I want you all to stand. And as a word of commitment, as the body of Christ, of those who have been called to walk faithful in Christ, let us read in closing Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. You are dismissed.